Thank you so much. That'll preach. If you would, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 6, verses, verse 1, and then put your thumb there as we have done the last several weeks. Put your thumb there and turn to Corinthians chapter 5. As you're turning there, I'll relay to you a quick story. My best friend, as many of you know, my best friend Warren and his family were here last week, and uh, it was great to worship with him and to uh, fellowship with him after church. But before he came last week, he called me and said, hey, just wanted to check in on you. And we started talking. He goes, by the way, what are you preaching on? And I said, I'm preaching on biblical giving. And he said, you know what? I think we'll postpone and we'll go the next week. And I said, well, the next week's on biblical discipline. And he said, never mind. Giving sounds good. <laughs> and then he said, by the way, and then so we talked and he kind of laughed about that. And he said, though, I have to admit I kind of want to come on the Sunday you do biblical discipline to see exactly how you do a children's sermon for that. And I said, well, we'll uh, try to see if we can't get you to figure out how we're going to do that. So he was, uh, I say that to say this, the the topic of biblical discipline is one that makes us feel a little uncomfortable. As much as giving makes us feel uncomfortable, and that topic that we looked at last week, biblical discipline is something that we often shy away from. And it's something that we've shied away from as an American Christians for a long, long time. And we like to say things like, don't judge, we shouldn't be judgmental of others, we should be welcoming of each other, and there is truth in some of those statements. But we've used it as cover not uh, to not obey the word of God. And so this week, as we kind of get towards the end of our sermon series about healthy church and things that healthy churches do well, We're going to take a look together this morning at biblical discipline, biblical church discipline, and why we practice it, um, and why we should be practicing it, and what it looks like in our own individual lives, and what, to some extent, it looks like in the lives of our church. So, let's pray, or actually, let's read God's Word first, and then we'll pray. Um, So, if you would stand, that we may honor the reading of God's Word this morning, we will do that together. First, starting in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And then turn over with me to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we will read that chapter as well. It says this, Paul says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 
I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since you would need to go out of the world. But I now am writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or reviler, a drunkard, a swindler, not even to eat with such a one, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning. And Lord, we acknowledge that as we come to this topic of church discipline, Lord, that we must do so humbly. Because we too are disobedient children. We too have things in our life that need changing. We too have things in our life that need accountability. Lord, we too need discipline. We too need the correction of a loving father and the overwatch of a loving church family to keep us on track. Lord, not, to, not for the sake of stifling, but rather for the ability for us to live a life that is full and abundant. Father, I pray, Lord, that as we look at your word this morning and, Lord, that you would use my mouth to speak your words. I pray that if I misspeak somehow, Lord, that you would allow your people to hear, Lord, what you are teaching them and that they would understand it. Lord, this is an important topic. It's an important topic that we need to handle delicately. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding beyond our own abilities this morning. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Those words of Paul are pretty harsh, aren't they? As he writes to the Corinthians about this issue that is happening. And the issue, by the way, if you didn't catch it, was that there was a gentleman in the church who was considered a member who was having an inappropriate relationship with another family member. At best, it was his stepmother. At worst, it was his own mom. And so Paul is writing this church saying, what are you doing? Because the church had not only uh, kind of turned a blind eye, but rather they were arrogant. They were saying basically, in a sense, we are so grace-filled and we are so full of mercy that anything is, is acceptable. And Paul says, this is just not the way it should be. Even the pagans, even those outside the church, understand that this is wrong and you need to deal with it. And as he talks to the church, it's, it's pretty severe. It's a severe chapter. And trust me, if you read it in the Greek, it's even more severe. You begin to worry about Paul. And if he's going to have an aneurysm in the middle of this. Like, he's upset. Because this church is not practicing church discipline. And the thing is here, that as upset as he is with this church, what we're going to find is that through this passage... Part of it's out of concern for the individual. You may not see that right out of the way, but we're going to look at this passage a little bit more detail here in a moment. But first, before we get to the passage and before we kind of tear it apart, I want us to answer a question. I want us to answer a question. What is discipline? What is discipline? And we're going to talk a little bit about some of, some of why we do it and, and get to all of that. But, but I want to I take a quick look here. First, discipline is love. Discipline is love. In Hebrews, 
the writer of Hebrews says this in 12, chapter 12, verse 3. He says, Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And then this is where I want you to really key in. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one whom whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? So discipline as related to God towards his children is an act of love. It's an act of caring towards sons and daughters who have come to him through Jesus Christ. He does not allow us as a good father to continue on in things that are ultimately going to harm us. And certainly, while sin oftentimes seems pleasant in the right now, otherwise we wouldn't do it, sin often seems pleasant in the here and now. Down the road, we see its destructive properties. We see how addiction destroys an individual. We see how sin creeps in and can destroy a family or destroy relationships. We see how sin distracts us from the path that the Lord would have us to take that leads to an abundant life full of hope and joy. We see it throughout Scripture, the way sin weaves its, its tentacles around folks and brings them down. And God, a good father, will not stand by and allow this to happen. But rather, he disciplines his children so they may stop the activity and so they may do something else. I've shared with you many times about things that my dad would say to me that I hated. He, he said, by the way, many things that I loved. Um, let's go fishing was among those, but he, he would often encourage me, but there were some phrases that I've shared some of with, uh, some of them with you among them, things like, Hey, follow me, which usually meant that we were going to go do a project that I was not going to be fond of. Um, but another thing that dad would say to me that I absolutely hated, I wish they, it was the phrase that I was like, just spank me. Like it would be better, but he would look at me at times, especially when I was older and could understand the words, he would look at me and say, that's not how we act. I hated that phrase. Like, Dad would say, that's not how we act. That's not how we treat people. And it was like he was stabbing a knife into the very soul of me because it was like, man, I have just disappointed my father. I have just, I have just disgraced our family. And as a boy, you tend to want to make your dad proud and you want, you want to get that, get that, a sense of satisfaction from knowing that you've done right. And so he would tell me that. And our Father in heaven does the same thing. He uses his word, he uses his church to say, that's not how we act. That's not what we do here. That's not who we are. And we should take that and we should feel a sense of correction. We should desire to know that he is doing that out of his love for us and that we should desire to change. But the discipline and church discipline does not just include what God does to us as individuals, but we need to understand that oftentimes, because of the way God has shaped his church, God uses us as family, uses us as a body to correct each other and to use and uses us as an instrument of discipline. It's not something that we look forward to. It's not something that we desire, but it's something that we need to practice 
out of obedience to him and out of love for one another. Just as the kids showed you this morning, though we had a couple that decided that it'd be funny to see Brian lose a pinky, most of them were caring enough about me to say, no, stop! Don't cut off your finger. We only use scissors, as Melissa fell in love with. We only use scissors for paper and flowers, okay? We don't use them on ourselves, In the same way, we should be looking out, as Galatians says so eloquently, we should be looking out for one another so that those of us that are mature can look, and and those of us can look out after each other and say, hey, that's not the way we act. That's not what we do. You're going to hurt yourself. Stop it. We love each other. And that's where discipline must come out of. Second, it must come out of holiness. It must come out of a sense of holiness. In 1 Peter 1.16, and really, you can back up to verse 13, Peter makes the call to the church to be a holy people. To be a holy people. And he actually goes back and he references Leviticus when he says, be holy for I am holy, saying uh, as what God would say to his people. You and I have been called to something much grander. We have been called to righteousness. We have been called to holiness, to a standard that goes beyond just what the world says is right or wrong. And this is important. This is important because that we are oftentimes what people see as an image of God. We, God's glory, God's holiness, God's righteousness, his plan for their life is shining through us off us to a world that desperately needs to see it and they need to see holiness they don't need to see perfection let me be clear we are not perfect we will never be perfect and we should not put off some sort of uh, arrogance in saying that you know we're better than you that's not what I'm saying but they need to see that we live our life based on what the word of God says and that we are different however when things happen where a believer, a brother or sister in Christ, is making the decision over and over again to not live up to this standard in this book, and they begin to drag God's name through the mud by their word and by their action, then the church should step in and say, this is not how we act. This does not represent God. This does not represent us as a church. And so we practice discipline. Not out of harshness, but out of concern. The final thing that we need to understand here when we ask the question, what is discipline, is we need to understand one thing that it's not. It is not holding people to our standards. It's not holding people to our standards. Whenever we talk about judgment and discipline, so often what happens is people take us back to Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And I'm just going to turn back there very quickly just so that we can read this together. But in Matthew chapter 7, he's speaking to the Pharisees. And he he starts off chapter 7. It says, judge not that you be not judged. And people throw that back in our face when we talk about discipline and when we talk about accountability. To say, see, you can't judge other people. You can't look at them. You can't practice discipline because discipline would require you to judge and to say what's right or wrong. The thing is here is that Jesus is not speaking 
Jesus is not speaking to the church at large to say do not judge. He's not speaking to those who are judging based on scripture. Rather he is speaking to the Pharisees who have elevated themselves above everyone else to say that we're better than you are. We have uh, more training than you do. We are holier than you are. And we have created this whole other system that you need to obey. And if you don't obey our rules and our system, then you are not only an outcast, you are, you are condemned before God. They were taking, literally taking God's role away from him. And they were perching themselves up in the place on the judgment seat. They were not doing this out of a sense of concern for their brothers and sisters. They were not doing it out of a sense of love. They were not doing it out of sense of protecting the holiness of God. They were doing it so that they may look better than somebody else. That's not biblical church discipline. That's not biblical anything. That is sin. And Jesus says, stop doing this. Because the harsher you are in this matter, so I will be harsher with you. He says there, at the end of that passage, he makes the comment, Remove the log from your own eye that you may take the speck out of your brother's eye. We must understand that we as individuals have sin in our life and we must humbly and with great understanding know that we too have things in our life that are wrong, that we are dealing with, that we are attempting to repent of and, and to go and to change in our lives by the grace of God. But we need to understand that as mature believers who get that and understand that, we also have a responsibility to our brother to, do, to take the speck out of his eye, to allow him to see better. This is what Galatians is referring to. Jesus himself, before we say, well, Jesus said, do not judge. You go to Matthew 18, and Jesus lays out the very pattern for church discipline. To say, go to your, if someone has wronged you, or if someone is in the wrong, go to them as a believer, so one-on-one, if they still won't repent or won't listen to you, then take two or three more. If that won't work, then take them to the church, and if they still won't repent, then the church is to remove them from membership. Jesus himself lays out the pattern for it. Paul lays out, the pa- lays out church discipline in Galatians again, it says, where it says that we're to do it in gentleness. We see it in James, where James tells us to go and to rescue But first, there must be discipline. We see Paul talk about it in Timothy. We must understand that discipline is out of love and out of holiness, but it's not holding people to our own standards. It's not saying you've got to jump this high when the Bible does not say that at all. We must understand that we do it out of a sense of concern, not out of a sense of I'm better than you. So yes, we shouldn't judge in the sense that we don't sit on the throne, on God's throne and condemn folks. But at the same time, we need to understand that we do have a responsibility to one another, to watch over one another, to hold one another accountable, to protect the name of the church. So why do we do this? Now turn back to Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be looking here. Why do we do this? Okay. So discipline comes out of a sense of love. Discipline comes out of a sense of holiness and, and a desire to... To be different in the sense that God has called us to be different. It's not out of our own standards, but it's out of the standards of the word of God. But why do we do it? Because frankly, it's hard. None of us like confrontation. None of us like 
causing angst. So why do we discipline? Well, first, we discipline for the sake of the individual, for the person. Look here at verse 5 with me. Paul has addressed the issue. He's, he's told the Corinthian church, hey, here's what's going on and here's why you're wrong. And then he tells them what to do. Start actually, let's back up to verse four. It says, "You are assembled in the name when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, meaning his teaching is present, though some would say the Holy Spirit is present. With the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord." That sounds incredibly harsh. Like if we were to read that verse and and just stop where it says, deliver this man over to Satan, it would be like, what? What is Paul talking about? That sounds horrible. I can't believe he would say that. And yet he continues on here. He tells us that the reason that this is done is so that this individual spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Paul is, in effect, saying this. He's saying, as long as you condone what this man is doing, as long as you continue to allow it to happen under your watch, then you are telling the individual that they are doing nothing wrong. And you are telling the individual that they are in no danger. Which is the exact opposite of the truth. The truth is, is that they are doing wrong. And the truth is, is that they are in grave danger. Not only from the consequences of sin that, that we see physically, but they're, all, they're in grave danger of the wrath of God. Paul is saying that anyone who lives like this consistently and has no heart of repentance, we would highly question their salvation, whether it was real. We can go to 1 John and have a discussion about those that continue in sin, that we must question whether their salvation is genuine. It's not that you lose your salvation, it's that possibly that decision of faith was not genuine to begin with. Paul says here, if we're going to hand somebody over to the, if we're going to do church discipline, we do it out of concern for that person that they may see the wrong that they have done, that they may see their sin, and they may take evaluation of their own spiritual condition. The hope, the prayer is, is that through church discipline, through the, excommunication of the individual that they may look at what is happening in their life and they may turn to the Lord and do some evaluation that they may come to know Jesus Christ in true salvation or that they may experience true repentance and then be restored to the family turn turn with me really quick I want to show you something turn to 2nd Corinthians if you have your Bible still open turn to 2nd Corinthians it's only going to be a few pages over 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. Now, we cannot for definite cause say that this is the same person, but it sounds kind of interesting, and it sounds familiar. It says in verse 5 of that chapter, Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So, there was an individual who was under church discipline and has been removed, okay? He's been removed from membership. Verse 7, So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, 
For this is why I wrote that I may test to know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. But we are not ignorant of his designs. Paul says here, look, there's an individual in your church. And again, we're not positive that it's the same individual, but it sounds similar. There's an individual in your church that you guys have practiced church discipline on. You have removed him from the fellowship, but he has shown repentance. And so what are we to do in that instance? But we are to welcome them back in quickly. We are to welcome them back with open arms to offer full forgiveness for the restoration of a brother or sister. We think about the story of the prodigal son who walks away and it just spends all of his all of the wealth of his father on silly things and does horrible things and says cruel things to his father if you really understand that text and then he comes back and he says i'm repentant i'm sorry and the father doesn't look at him and say too bad but rather the father opens his arms and says i am glad you are back and he celebrates I think this is a misconception that we have of church discipline. We think about church discipline and we think, oh, well, when you practice church discipline, that these decisions are final. And heaven forbid, if we remove somebody from our role, they can never come back. Quite the opposite. We want them to come back. We want them to experience repentance. We want to embrace them again as a true brother and sister in Christ. We will add them like that when we see repentance. Paul says, hand him over, do church discipline, that in the day of the Lord, his spirit might be saved. We do it for the person, we do it out of love. Second, we do it for the church. Look there at verse 6 through 10. It says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For the Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul is referring here to, of course, he's making reference to the Passover, to this great celebration that the Jews were commanded to observe. And it was a celebration that reminded them of God's deliverance, of God's deliverance, to them in the land of Egypt. And Paul says, now, now not only do we have just this lamb that has delivered us, the blood of the lamb that was put on the doorpost to signify that the angel was to pass over. Now not only do we have the righteousness of the lamb, but we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself who puts his blood around us, who allows us to celebrate rather than mourn. Paul says, how can that happen? How can that happen if we continue to allow sin to go unchecked in our midst? How can we continue to celebrate? How can we continue to magnify the righteousness of Christ if we have allowed even a little sin into our midst? Rather, we need to get rid of it for the sake of unity, for the sake of togetherness, for the sake of purity, for the sake of holiness, which we talked earlier. We need to remember who we have been called to. We've been called to Jesus Christ. We need to remember the righteousness that has been given to us and the price that was paid 
for that righteousness, for us to experience that righteousness. We do it for the person, we do it for the church, and we do it for the witness. Verses 9 through 11, Paul reminds the church that they were not to have anything to do with those that were committing horrible acts, public acts especially, and especially those that would call themselves brothers, those that would call themselves Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, who yet live a public life that declares the exact opposite. They declare the exact opposite. He says there in verse 11, we should not even eat with such a one. Notice he says here, by the way, in verse 12, that we're not judging outsiders. Sinners are going to be sinners. The lost are going to be lost. They're going to do what lost people do. But the next question is, is it not those inside the church whom we judge? God judges those on the outside, but we are to purge the evil person. We do it for our witness. What does it say? What does it say to the world when a Christian lives a life that looks no different than them? What does it say to the world when a Christian is involved in activities that the whole world knows are not right? What does it say to the world and to the community when a believer says, oh, I go to church, and then the next statement, they go on about all sorts of things that are mentioned here. It says that there is no reason for Christ. There's no reason for the gospel. There's no reason for salvation. It says that God does not care about sin. It says a whole host of lies to those that are watching. And so it is important for us as a church when we have a brother or sister, when we have one who would say, I am a member of FBC Vandalia, and they are not meeting the standards set clearly forth by God's word, when they are dragging God's name through the mud in our community by their words or by actions, it is important for us to step in and say, this is not the way we act. This is not what we do. This is not who our God is. And this is not how we are called to live. Certainly it's not easy. Certainly it's not something we do with light heart. Certainly it's not something we do just on a whim. But it's something that we are called to do. What is this, if that's what church discipline is, and if that's why we practice church discipline, what does that look like for the individual? What does that look like for you and me? Well, first, and we're going to go through these quickly, but first, we need to be reminded, as we think about church discipline, as we think about discipline in our own lives, we need to be reminded that none of us is free from sin. None of us is completely free. We all have things in our life that are difficult. We all have things in our life where we are tempted and where we fall and where we fail. We are not better than anyone else except for that we have been given the righteousness of Christ. He is the only boast that we have. Second, we need to remember that because of that first statement that we all have sin, we need to remember that we all need discipline and accountability. We all need discipline and accountability on some level. We need brothers and sisters in our lives 
who will come alongside of us and say, I love you too much to watch you continue this direction. I love you too much to watch you harm yourself. Let us walk back together. Let us repent together. Let us go back to the Father together. Let's stop this before it gets too far, before it gets out of hand. All of us, my guess would be, all of us have loved ones, have people that we've cared about, both in our own family and in our church family, who we are thinking of that we wish we would have said something. We wish we would have said, I can't watch you do this any longer, rather than sit and do nothing. Let us remember that we need it at times as well. Thirdly, can we give, we need to remember that we can give and receive discipline with humbleness and grace. We need to give and to receive discipline with humbleness and grace. It is easy for us uh, to get angry when someone comes up and says, hey, you're thinking about this wrongly. It's easy for us to get defensive. We need to be able to receive it with humbleness, understanding that the Lord has put that person in our life and put that word in their mouth out of concern and out of love. And it is grace trying to save us from worse things. Don't wait for the two by four, so to speak. At the same time, we need to be able to give discipline. We need to be able to give accountability to a brother and sister. What love is it for us to stand idly by and say nothing while we watch somebody destroy themselves? What love is it for us to gossip about someone and say, oh, I can't believe they're doing this or that without going to the individual themselves? What love is it to think in our minds, I can't believe they're doing that, that's going to end badly, and then to do, but to say nothing to them about it? That's not love. That's not caring. That's not compassion. We must, we must be willing to stand in the gap. We must be willing to go to that individual. So we have individual responsibilities here. So what now? Where do we go from here? Some of you are probably sitting there thinking, oh, what's he going to announce? What, what are we going to change? What, what scary things is he going to talk about now? Well, for now, nothing. <laughs> Where do we go from here as a church? Well, first... We take our scripture, our cues from scripture. We can no longer, in light of the word of God, sit by and say, we will do nothing. We must listen to Paul as he talks to the church at Corinth and say, we must walk this path. And so we look to scripture for how we do that. We will study it diligently. We will pray over it. And I ask that you would make that commitment. Second, we will take a slow and humble approach. I emphasize slow. Slow and humble approach. It is tempting for the pastor and for the church who hears about church discipline and realizes and is convicted that we are doing it wrong or that we have not been doing it at all 
to jump in and say, well, let's right a wrong. Let's get this where we need to be today. And many of you who are black and white, many of you who are prophets, think that's exactly what we should do. You're like, by golly, let's excommunicate some people today. That would be misguided. It would be unwise. We need to be careful. We need to go slow. We need to be humble and full of grace as we approach this topic, as we teach each other what the Word of God says, as we pray over the direction that God would have us to go in this area especially. So we will take a slow and humble approach, but we must follow in obedience. Lastly, what now when it comes to church discipline? Now we must learn to love well. We must learn to love well. I cannot think of something that uh, has been more extraordinary in the last few years than to watch this church family become a family. To watch us be able to communicate with one another or to watch us be able to fellowship with one another in a deeper way than when we first came. It has been a remarkable thing that God continues to grow in our midst. And I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for the love that you show Melissa and I. I'm thankful for the love and the support that you show one another on a regular basis. And now, now we are called to something deeper. Now we are called to something deeper. I, though I protest the point, like children for the most part. However, for the most part, I do not love your child so much as to discipline them. I might tell them occasionally, hey, let's not do that, as they pick up the microphone and want to slam it on the, on the steps of the stage. But for the most part, it's not my spot to discipline, nor do I often look at them and think that's my place or whatever you may say. But you as a parent have a great love for your child, and you want them to be good adults, and you want them to do good things, and so you are called in the greatness of your love to discipline. So too, we as brothers and sisters, we have been called to love well, and we have gone and taken great strides in that that I am ultimately and great and eternally grateful for, and pray that God would continue to do. But now we must learn to love at a deeper level, one that is so concerned with one another that we are able in grace and humbleness to say, I love you too much to stand by. I love you too much to watch you do this any longer. Let me help you. Let me pray for you. Let me walk this path with you. You're not alone. You're not alone. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up, and we're just going to have a time of response. I have honestly struggled all week with how to close this sermon. It's not a sermon that really lends itself super well to an invitation call. It's not one that lends itself well to uh, a huge emotional response, and I think that's okay. I think this morning, though, as we look at the Word of God and we think about church discipline, there needs to be a level of commitment. And so I'm going to ask 
for those of you that are church members, and certainly this is a message geared towards you. If you're a visitor here this morning, I'm sorry, I'm hoping that this isn't your first time. But if you're a church member here, I'm asking, I'm calling upon you, will you make the commitment to pray over this issue? To ask God to teach you about church discipline and what that looks like, both on a personal level and to individuals and on a corporate level as a church. This is a difficult topic. It's one that we don't take lightly, but it's one we must be obedient in. So will you make that commitment this morning? Will you pray the Lord, Lord, help me to understand this. Help me to see it rightly. Help me to, help me to process it in the way that you would have me to process it. Help me to learn to love in such a deep fashion for my brothers and sisters that I won't stand idly by, but that I will in grace and in, in great humbleness approach them and, and love on them and walk the path with them. Will you make that commitment today? Will you make that commitment today? I'm going to ask them. They're going to play just one song, and we're going to have a time of response. And so you're welcome to stand and to worship with us. You're welcome to come to the altar if you need to do that and to, to maybe repent or maybe to, to make that commitment before the Lord or, or to do something completely unrelated. But you do that this morning. Let me pray with us, and then we'll have that time. Father, we come before you this morning, and we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that you give us a complete picture of how we are to act. Lord, that you give us very detailed instructions of your expectations and your standards. Lord, that those things are not there that they may be a killjoy or that they may ruin things for us, but rather they're there as a good parent who desires us to, to know life the way that it was intended to be lived, to know life with great hope and great joy, to know life that satisfies and that fulfills and lord we're thankful this morning that you discipline lord it, it's hard to say when we're in the midst of it because oftentimes there's there's pain and there's shame even sometimes but lord we're thankful for it because it reminds us that you love us enough to not let us go whatever direction we want to go and so father as we come before you as a church we confess that we don't know probably the best way to do church discipline that we need instruction that we need help lord help us to be slow and methodical in our approach to this that we may not screw it up lord may we look to your wisdom and your wisdom alone for guidance that we may that we may truly do this in a way that that brings about restoration, that brings about salvation for the individual, that we may see our family expand by your grace, that we may see our family grow cl closer together than we ever thought imaginable. Father, I pray that you take this time and do with it as you will. In your holy name, amen.